I don't think the media's changed that much. Yes, it's more concentrated and there's more media. It's social media. And if players can do something, it is trying to wean themselves of the addiction to their mobile phones and the horrible things people are saying about them. What but, would be worse, cheating oh, on your wife or well, cheating on your golf? Well, I know the way certain um, members of the boys' club felt about it. The golf was much worse. Don't send emotions or emojis or whatever they're called. That drives me bonkers. I've just discovered the thumbs up. <laughs> or the fingers, oh, only five years down Or the, the track. fingers crossed when I'm at the football. <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound so simplistic and shallow, but... You've got a thinking man's Muslim who is cool and young and is so many other things. I think for young Australians, he is, you know, the new hero. Now, you are grumpy about something. Why do you have to give your email address when you're buying tinted moisturiser? Why, when you walk in to get your toes painted, do they need your email address? For a leg wax, where I don't normally go. Oh, God, it's a big week on the beautification. No, this was last year. I'm coming in, I'm a random stranger, perform the service and let me go. I am sick of people wanting my email address and I'm now refusing. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 78 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. My name is Corey Perkin and here with me in the studio, as she is each week, is journalist, friend, and drinking buddy, Caroline Wilson. Bit of champagne consumed this weekend, Caro. I think it was rosé, actually, Corrie. We had a good fun at the pub, didn't we? We I did. had a good session at the pub for years. Had a session at the pub on Saturday, and then we had our dear friend Joe's 50th birthday on Sunday, which we also were at together. So there was a bit of that happening, and I went to a couple of lovely dinners on Thursday and Friday. So there was a lot of eating, drinking and being merry. But the best thing about a local pub is when, well, it doesn't matter what month it is, but if it is early autumn, it does help when it's your birthday and your football team is winning. And oh, it's on on the big screen in the live. background. <laughs> what a day you had. You tipped Hawthorne and, and no one few, thought they could f- win, which was ridiculous because they always beat Adelaide. What were we thinking? When I went to the bathroom, there were a couple of Hawthorne supporters inside who were very excited so we had a bit of a chat about the game, not that I'd really been watching it all that much because I was entertaining, but um, it was fun to be at the pub. That's a really lovely thing to do. Highly recommend and it. And like a good attendant, I kept you up to date with the scores all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like a good football commentator? <laughs> um, Caro, today we're going to take a quick look at the New South Wales election, which was held on the weekend, and what the feds on all sides of politics might take home from that. There's a bit of footy on our radar Uh, I have a recipe and I have a crush. You're grumpy and you also have a book. Uh, But first... And uh, I've got an embarrassing GLT. Oh, embarrassing. Yeah. So it it, it actually was embarrassing. Yep. You're not going to talk about your Spanx again, are you? (laughs) No. Um, I think that was you, in fact, Corrie. I don't think I'm a Spanx wearer. And nor Um, do I flash them if I did wear them. So, Carol, we have a... It's not really an apology, although your daughter, Clementine, says we have to apologise. But I did point out to her, Clem, it's more of a clarification. Last week and the previous week, we were talking about Matt Wilkinson, the Melbourne chef and cookbook author, who, of course, uh, had the dearly departed Pope Joan, the wonderful restaurant in Brunswick. And uh, Clem chimed in, the millennial food guru, to tell us that Pope Joan has been open as a pop-up for quite some time. But we then argued and discussed whether pop-up actually was, you know, under the term of restaurant. (laughs) So anyway, um, but I think it's closing soon and I wasn't sure where it was. I can't remember where she said. But anyway, sort of apologies to Pope Joan, but they're around. Uh, I think that's known as a qualified apology. Qualified apology. The Outer Sanctum girls, who we sent a cheerio to last week, they thanked us for the shout-out and they said, Carol, you were quite correct. And they said, there's no way we came up with that Rioli stash. So they were quite quite excited. And Helen Durant said, I listen to your podcast while I'm at the gym. It's the main reason I go. Well, Helen, I know that being a bit of a gym-goer and with my new craze of walking, I find that if I don't have a good podcast in my ear, I don't want to do anything. And uh, on the at Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account, which all of you can join, please do. We're almost up to a thousand. Marika McMahon said, great to hear Caro's reflections on Shane Healy. One of my best secondary school memories is Mr. Healy in his early days of combining teaching and local radio and commentating on the school sports. He would have been fantastic at that. 
Absolutely That'd fantastic. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Incidentally, Pope Joan is open in the Melbourne CBD until April 18. Oh, thanks for that. Thanks, thanks for Clem. that. Uh, thank you, Clem. And Cheerio to Marty Summons, who's an old friend of yours and mine, and he commented on one of the pictures of us. I don't know. I can't remember whether it was on Facebook or Instagram where I saw this, but there's that photo where you and I had to have makeup for about an hour and a half to get rid of Oh, oh! In the in the studio, podcast of Pop Media. photo. It's yes. a great photo. It is a great photo. It took it took I'll a lot to be get in there. Get a photo again. <laughs> anyway, he said, "Lovely image of you two, and the camera never lies, does oh, it?" Marty, oh, no, he did say, what "Does a charmer. it?" Um, big hello to all the truck drivers listening. Hello, men and women on the road. A couple of weeks ago, uh, now this particular one came in from. I don't I haven't got a name on this person actually. Oh, is it Eamon? Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was a bit grumpy about being tail- tailgated by trucks on the Geelong Freeway, Caro, you'll remember. You were. And, um, and I felt that they were very dangerous as they rammed up behind your car if you weren't doing the appropriate speed. Uh, we had a very informative email from Eamon Dawson, who is a book-loving foodie who loves watching football and who is a keen messenger listener, and his wife put him onto the podcast. Hi, Eamon and Mrs. Eamon. Eamon gave us a refresher on the road rules and also said... Uh, most trucks are speed limited to 100 kilometres per hour. Trucks are not travelling at 120 per hour. That is an unhelpful exaggeration. Mm, well, I'm sorry if it was an exaggeration. I reckon they were going pretty fast because I was sitting on about 100. And he said, as in all professions, there are good and bad. I do not condone tailgating. It is up to all drivers of all vehicles to observe the road laws and travel safely together. I will not continue my grumpiness uh, when it comes to the mobile phones in vehicles. Thanks for your podcast. Well, I agree about the mobile phones, Eamon. Thank you for that. Well done, Corrie. You've managed to offend truck drivers on the Geelong Road, of which there are hundreds. You've also managed to offend someone with your book (laughs) review, which I felt was a bit rough. But anyway, do you want to explain that? Well, (laughs) well, yes. Um, This is from Jan Bingley. Hi, Jan. Um, Jan said that she was listening to my book review last week, which was The Story of Lucy Galt by William Trevor. And she says, we won't bother buying that book as you told us the whole story. Can you temper your reviews just a wee bit? And you had the cheek to tell Kara not to give away the story in her movie review. Right back at you, Jan Bingley. Well, Jan, okay, I'm crying now. There's, no, a lot, there's a lot to the Lucy Galt story that I did fairness, not reveal. In fairness, I think that it sounded, it might have sounded as though Corrie gave away the punchline, but she actually didn't I absolutely in the story did of Lucy Galt. But Jan, I'm sorry, please read the book. It's really worth it. But also, the number of times that you... You fly close to the sun with your reviews of movies. Corrie, when someone criticises you, it doesn't mean you need to turn oh, it on okay, to me. Okay, I'll, I'll, look, I'll just, t- I'm just very take cle- it. I'm very careful I'll and just, I don't okay, give away the punchline. Yep, I'll just take it. And um, I just wanted to also say day to the Interchange Bench gang. Of course, they are our sponsor and we uh, love our connection with them. If you or someone you know needs first-class temporary or contract talent, call the Interchange Bench or recommend them to a friend who might be a little stressed about their staffing issues, particularly with Easter and Anzac Day coming up. I know a lot of people are taking advantage of the 10-day week away. People put in for their holidays two years ago. Smart people looked at the calendar and their bosses thought, that's weird. I wonder why they want, you know, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Tuesday or Friday or whatever off over that 10 days. Well, of course they can have Carol, those days remember off. remember the days of newspapers, you and I at the age, and people like Michelle Grattan, the editor, would have to call her in Canberra and say, Michelle, you are owed 22 weeks holiday. You know, like journalists just never think of holidays. No. You just kind of get time owing and you just scramble through well, it. Well, we don't go, have, we still, well, I still don't have public No, holidays. that's right. So we never really think of holidays. The minute I went to work at the, the I mean, the one, a number of things struck me about working for the public service when I went left the age to work for the National Gallery. But the first thing I reckon was the num- the amount of time that most staff people took at looking at the annual calendar, planning their holidays around public holidays. If I get three days here, then I can have those two days off and then I've got a week. And oh my God, they spent a lot of time working out well, their holidays. Well, it's always so nice. I mean, I like working on public holidays because you come back to work without traffic and then you have days off when there's no traffic. I mean, I know that sounds like a real old fuddy-duddy thing to say, but I don't mind it at all. Anyway. Um, Karen, just be quick 
quickly before, because I want to hear how you went with the ballet with your mum, I just wanted to um, say good day to a, all the people doing A Taste of Harmony. I don't know whether you know about this national initi- initiative. It's such a great idea. For the two weeks in March, between the 18th and 29th of March, they do it each year, workplaces are encouraged to select a day in that period when all the employers can bring a dish that represents the cultural background of, the, of their cultural background or a culture they love. So, for example, you're an Aussie, but you might decide you want to bring a beautiful Turkish dish or something, you know, to work. To, to work. There are over 10,000 workplace teams uh, with 1,250 individual companies participating. So it's not too late to jump on board. Some really wonderful examples that one of my lovely customers, M, who works for them, uh, has sent me, and I won't go through them now, but it's such a great initiative. And I would like to just say hats off to the Scanlon Foundation, which really manages and funds A Taste of Harmony. Well done, you guys. What a fantastic idea, especially after the Christchurch drama of two weeks ago. He was an AFL commissioner, Peter Scanlon, and a big, I thought the name was familiar. big North Melbourne supporter. Corrie, um, you have um, hijacked, well, not hijacked, it's your turn to do Crush of the Week, and it's probably because you know I would have done Alex Rance, but the good news is out of such massive, massive disappointment and sadness for him because he's now going to miss the season, is he's going to write a third book, which great. is great. Fabulous. Another children's book. Yeah. So so even every cloud, as they say, has a silver lining, but... Um, we're talking about highlights of the week, and I want to hear about your Saturday afternoon in a slightly more detail. Um, but two days in a row, last week in Melbourne, the most incredible autumn weather, really hot autumn weather. One night, I'm walking past the floral clock with mum and walking into the State Theatre to watch the most wonderful production of Cinderella. Australian Ballet. Done by the Australian Ballet Company. It was meant to be. We bought I, um, we bought mum's series tickets for Christmas and we pick, we picked you know three, the three ballets, three dates, but um, it was meant to be Graham Murphy's The Happy Prince, but Graham Murphy is not well, which is terrible news. And I was really disappointed because it sounded like a fascinating production. Um, and a lot of people had gone earlier in the week to the MTC to see Arbus and West, which was a story about when Diane Arbus, the photographer, met Mae West in the 60s. Absolute shite, apparently. <laughs> Shocking. It didn't get very good reviews. Some people who might will remain nameless, but are often guests on this podcast and all their friends left at intermission. Just a really... I, so, did, I did hear Anna, at, I can't remember where I heard her saying that she didn't want to, she no longer wished to be a subscriber at the MTC. Well, she said it on the podcast because she's not happy with some of the lineup and, and the plays they choose. And I think this was a classic example. But the next night, after they all walked out at intermission, there were three acts of Cinderella. Oh, it, it was so beautiful. It was the the prince, so tradi- traditional outfits. Or did no, they set it no, in a the costume. Time? The costume was a whole part of the storyline. The um the ball scene. They're all the women are all in tuxedos. But then Cinderella comes in, and then they come out. They put on dresses because Cinderella's so ahead of fashion. And the ugly sisters are always one step behind. The prince was a little heavy on his feet on a couple of big moments, but Cinderella was fantastic. The prince was mainly brilliant. It's and so it was, funny hearing a football commentator say something like that. Oh, it was – it was. <laughs> well, you know how much we love the ballet. I mean, I just think there's no better night. Well, there is one slightly better night. The next night, walking over the other side of Melbourne or the other side of the river. It was a steamy night the night you to went the to MCG, the football. To the MCG, yeah. And look, it ended in absolute heartbreak for um, Alex Rance and Richmond, but they did get a win. And the build-up before the game, it was actually Carlton's home game, 85,000 people. There was a terrible fight at the end of it in the crowd, which was a real pity in the AFL members. But apart from that, I was there with Anna from the op shop and mum and Anna's mum, Sarah. and um, No Anna's, soup, I gather. Anna's daughter, Because Ruby, it was too hot. Chicken sandwiches. <laughs> Anna didn't make her date and walnut. Oh, she said she was going to try something different. She did. It was Look, it wasn't quite the same, but it was fine. We did. Mum did sort of lose her way on the way to meet us at the Blazer Bar. <laughs> Quarter time, so half time. Can't someone accompany Jewel to the? Oh, for God's sake! God, he knows how to get to the blazer bar. 80. We sit right in front of it. He was. He. We, you uh, are so tough on her. Rose and I are standing there with our my daughter with our you three know, glasses of champagne. You don't know how champagne. many of us who no longer have a mother who would give our eye teeth to be able to take our mother to the floor. She'd gone to the wrong floor. I said, oh, Mum, make your own way." Mum, there, how many? Carol. No, I said I had to rush ahead and put the order in. Corrie, do you know how crowded it gets in that bar? <laughs> 
at halftime. You have to push, you have to fight your way through. Anyway, we're standing there with our three Don't champagnes. The waves just part. Oh, it's Caroline Wilson. She oh, it's finally, Caroline Wilson. It's Caroline oh, Wilson. She finally made it in. She said, "Look, I did run into a few people. I went to the wrong floor." Anyway, we enjoyed our champagne. We toasted the Tigers' first win and autumn in Melbourne. It was a bit tense there for a while, Caro. It's funny, we never really felt that worried. Right. That's oh, good. I mean, look, I'm not saying Richmond are going to have the season they did two years ago. But Great to a- see Carlton having the success, though, in the women's AF. Oh, God, I can't even get my... AFLW. Thank you. I've, exactly. Life is Thank full you. of acronyms now. You have to get it used is. to them. Um, but just disappointing that they're not playing on Saturday afternoon. Uh, they're in a... Talk about the graveyard shift, which has become a bit of an unfortunate joke against the Essendon Football Club this week. But, um, yeah, they're playing on Sunday at lunchtime. And next year, the AFL have to give this final its correct date. Give it a date. Give it a time slot. Give it a ground at the start of the season. Don't dicker around with it. Anyway, tell, just tell me how you felt. You had a birthday, which means for about three months we're the same age. And then I become older than you again. Mm. Well, um, you actually are always older than me, Carol, I know, but I get the gist. On paper, we're oh, the look, same. It, it was one of those, it was a non event sort of birthday. And uh, anyway, it started off in a really charming, lovely way because uh, Francesca and Little Willow came down to Melbourne. And I will explain what Charlie and Harriet later, I'll explain what they were doing up in Ballarat. But the girls were down, Coco came over to stay the night. So I woke up in the morning to the sound of beautiful rain. And the girls brought in cups of tea, Vegemite toast, and we actually had a, uh, a group chat about Will's wedding, which we hadn't been together, the three of us, since the wedding, oh, and Willow. So we all sort of did, did a post-mortem. And then... Uh, and what did Willow think of the outfit? What did Willow think of <laughs> Willow gave the thumbs up to you. She thought you looked very nice in that red colour. She is uh, my favourite baby. <laughs> she, well, you're, very, you're the baby whisperer. We have said that. Whenever she's oh. a bit cranky... Into the, arms of, into the arms of Nurse Caro. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just different quiet things in the morning, went to the pram market, whatever, whatever. And then we ended up at the local pub in the beer garden. It was a very impromptu gathering. We were going to see a movie, but the weather was too nice. And um, there were not a big crowd, but it was a fun group of us. And we just sort of sat there for a couple of hours. And honestly, I don't think I have been to a suburban, in a suburban pub beer garden since the 20s when Tears for Fears were telling us that everybody oh, wants you, to rule the world. You, you must have been. No, I really don't think I have because I had kids in my 20s. When when you have children, do you yes, ever get but, to go to the beer garden on a Saturday But you've afternoon? been in the last 10 years, surely. Well, I don't think. Well, apart from like beach holiday or the bar, look, the Byron Bay pub Pete and I live in when we go up there in January. But I can't actually remember walking to, like we used to when we were 18 and 20 yep. and 22, walk to the local pub, sit in the beer garden. A lot of pubs now, Caro, don't have a beer garden. They've turned it into a, you know, pokey stadium or something. Anyway, it was a really lovely. So thanks for coming. And then oh, we all sort of staggered off home. It wasn't difficult. <laughs> we, um, no, I, I, the, the kids always take us to these great pubs around Abbotsford and Fitzroy and Collingwood now. My kids do. And... Um, Rose took us to a restaurant on last Tuesday night. We had the most incredible Thai dinner, and it came to $17 a head. Oh, celebrate the pubs of Melbourne. It anyway, was, I, d- that I have was, to... That was a restaurant, I but do you, have know, to you say, don't have to spend money, do No, you? you don't. And I have to say, we were at the Flying Duck because that was the scene of our great triumph a couple of months ago with the live podcast. And and they still... they A little, little bit self-congratulatory, but Did you but like anyway. the fact that I asked... Um, I asked they Tom made me to bring cocktail. you the cocktail. It was a lovely, lovely touch. Our pink cocktail. So there you go. Now, Caro, on to goal of the month. How are you going with your walking? I'm walking a lot more. And I just you wanted walked to... walked to the pub and you walked home? I did. It wasn't very far. I was going to walk to the offsiders on Sunday because if there's any worse construction area, it's where the ABC is situated around South Bank. Oh, my heavens. It is so difficult working out how to get there. Roy Masters and I were walking out afterwards and we spent the whole time talking about if you go this way and you park here. But I'm told to stop complaining about Melbourne being a construction zone because according to my brother, Sydney is even worse. And... Well, they have the whole light rail thing happening. But at least there's progress. Well, they're building tram lines in Sydney. They're building trams. But at least it's progress, Corrie. At least things are happening in our great city and in 10 years' time it's going to be fantastic. So are you doing doing the 3.2 kilometres a day? I've averaged about – no, I've averaged about – 
five or six k's a day. Okay, well, we'll need an update. So I'm walking a lot more. and Exact I'm, numbers. Okay, all right. Well, I can give you, I'll give them to you, but I'm looking at a passion fruit sponge. You are. Look. Don't tell me you made it. I did. I made it last night. So thanks to Josie and Mandy Wildsmith. Mandy, of course, is our Hardy Grant rep who was on the potty a few weeks ago. And Josie's her lovely mum whose recipe I have used, which I will give later in BSF. Uh, it was a bit tough. It was hard. It required endurance, but I got there in the end. And I think Good exercise I, for your arms, holding those beaters for well, so I think long. Well, I, I think I sort of buggered it up. I think it's a bit heavy. And I think putting in the fridge overnight, because we have an ant problem at home, and I was in a real tears because... I just don't have any Tupperware. I think the kids have stolen it. You never put cakes in the fridge. No, I know. But I just didn't want to put it on the bench, Caro, wrapped up in full because I was so neurotic about the ants. They've been really bad lately. Um, you need so, a cake coverer. I know. Well, they're all, they're all, you know, at the beach. This is the rental at home and there's nothing. There's no, there are no cooking appliances. Anyway, look, I was quite pleased. So after I made it and it was fluffy and it looks a bit sort of sad this morning. Um, Pete, <laughs> the reason there's a chomp out of it is Pete was just like, I'm, I don't care if you... I said, I, a I, chomp. I, I said, a, <laughs> a third of the cake's gone. <laughs> he took two pieces. But um, Miss Jane, of course, for photography purposes, I said, don't touch the cake. It's got to look beautiful. But anyway, he did take a bite out of it. He said it was really delicious, a bit dry, but it was delicious. So I have, for the first time in my life, cooked a sponge. And I realise now why I never have because our favourite recipe was always my nanny's um, orange cake, which when the kids were little, that was just the go-to recipe. Yep. And I did it probably every two or three weeks. So we might do that as a recipe soon. So there you go. Done my sponge. Thanks, Mandy and Josie. And Caro, on to the New South Wales election. On the weekend, the Liberal government of Gladys Berejiklian, which I, it's just a name I love saying. I keep saying it so often. I'm well, you need right to of, practice it, don't um, you, if you're doing a podcast. She's been returned with a majority in the New South Wales Lower House. And for a state election where very little happened, I mean, basically, there was just a bit of, you know, shuffling of the numbers, uh, although the nationals did take a big hit. But um, it has created a buzz, especially in, within the corridors of the Federal Liber Liberal Party. They all seem to be whooping for joy. So what were your thoughts? Of, because a number of your family live in New South Wales. Well, I think Gladys is quite popular with them. And I think that the, the big, well, the big talking Point from and and maybe maybe it's because it's something that I'm interested in. But stadiums, sports stadiums in Sydney have become you know a lightning rod political issue. I mean, there's just so much going on with all the stadiums, and um, there were various deals being done. I'm not sure the AFL would have been thrilled that um, the liberal the liberal government was returned, not because they care politically, but to do with where, where they're heading with um, some of the issues they've got with the NRL. Um, I was really fascinated about the release of that um, vision of the Labor leader and his comments, rather unfortunate comments about multiculturalism yes. at a really, really the bad Chinese time. The Chinese are taking our jobs. Oh, that and was... it had a huge impact in some of the electorates where Labor had a reasonably solid mar uh, um, margin and now it's absolutely reduced. I think that was... That holding was on by fingernails. Incredibly damaging. And also, did you see him on the live debate? Oh, I don't know whether it was a live debate, but the debate last week with... Oh, we don't get to see it down here, but with Gladys Berejiklian, the two of them um, just talking about infrastructure and costs and this and that... And he was so out of his depth. He was so badly prepared. Well, look, it was weird. It was weird coverage. Anyway, that's Michael Daly, the Liberal leader. He has now stepped down from his role. No, we don't need to remember his name. because Labor leader, sorry, not Liberal Labor. Um, no, I was. it was weird coverage. When I left the pub and went home and turned on the TV, I was flicking between that and um, Brisbane, <laughs> Brisbane versus West Coast, because as you know, I tipped Brisbane. I was very excited. But Were you watching was, your old friend Anthony Green? Yeah, Anthony. Well, see, it's Anthony's big, big day. Big. Day. I mean, I know he loves all elections, but the New South Wales election is where he made his start. That's a, that was, you know, the um, what's it called? That that was where the roots of his electoral coverage Stop. began. He was so excited. Can we have and, him on the show one time? <laughs> Absolutely. I just, I just well, love definitely him. get him on. Well, anyway, and, but it was weird. Anthony sort of predicted what was going to happen, but then Scott Morrison standing there and. They've won, and no one has actually said that they've won. It was sort of a bit of a non – it was anticlimactic. Mm. 
you know, over over on the other channel, over on Fox Footy, you know, Brisbane have changed their game plan after quarter time and the tides turned, but you didn't see where it happened in the New South no, Wales election sort of coverage. And really they didn't declare it properly no, until the day there was there, there was, was a bit no of excitement when Mark, there was a bit of excitement when Mark Latham uh, secured his seat in the upper house. Can you believe he's going to be there for eight years? Eight years we have to put up with Mark Latham. Although the one nation officials who went to the States to try and acquire ten million, even twenty million dollars, if they were lucky, from the from to the gun and, lobby to try and soften Australia's state. gun laws. Unbelievable! They're really they're really with their time. Um, just, just a quick one, a final one on Gladys and, and why she won. Look, she it was a so, it was a solid campaign. Those who observed it observed it over the three weeks said not not you know life changing, but she does have a secret weapon, Carol, and that's her sister Mary. Did you see Mary in action? No, Mary, I didn't. Mary's a gorgeous um, blonde, dresses in um, in really beautiful outfits, and she became really cross with the number of trolls and nasty comments on social media about her sister. So she took them to task. And each time there was a bad comment, Mary would weigh in. And so there was a corporate executive who unloaded a nasty comment referring to the Premier's um, F off bird nose. And Mary came back. You disgusting twelve-year-old! You even you're even allowed to have an account? Question mark. You have an immature bird brain that can't come up with anything better than a bullying personal attack. Good on you, Mary. Mary was great, and at her uh, at her thank you speech to all her helpers, Gladys actually referred to Mary, and then later said, "You know, every family has a Mary." Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> it's really no, sweet. well, it, that, that seems to be the new thing now. Um, my weapon against social media is not to engage in it and not to have it and not to be on Facebook or Twitter. But, you know, now we have people calling out these disgusting comments and in some cases, like those American women sporting journalists sitting there to camera and reading the comments. Then, you know, we had the famous Taylor Harris sort of very brave outburst last week, which would have been very difficult for a shy young woman and then to perform the way she did in her preliminary final of the AFLW. But, it's good that people are calling. It's good that people are talking about it and saying this is no good and this is disgusting and shaming these people, even if they are anonymous. It's courageous. Maybe and some of them will listen. It, well, I hope so. But they, they, look, the theory has always been that they love the attention. But I think sometimes, in the you know, sometimes it's just actually good to just call it as it is, and then all then public the public galvanizes behind you. They all get behind you, so it's quite um, effective. Anyway, Caro, on to other things uh, political, and I was very impressed in the last couple of weeks with uh, Channel 10 commentator, academic, a buddy of yours on the Offsiders on the ABC, Walid Ali. Richmond supporter. A Richmond supporter? Well, who isn't these days, Caro? <laughs> Everybody's coming out of the woodwork. Um, we've got a little bit of audio from Walid Ali, and I, then I just wanted to ask you about where, you know, what your thoughts are of him in the last couple of weeks. But of all the things that I could say tonight... That I'm gutted and I'm scared and I feel overcome with utter hopelessness. The most dishonest thing, the most dishonest thing would be to say that I'm shocked. I'm simply not. There's nothing about what happened in Christchurch today that shocks me. I wasn't shocked when six people were shot to death at a mosque in Quebec City two years ago. I wasn't shocked when a man drove a van into Finsbury Park Mosque in London about six months later. And I wasn't shocked when 11 Jews were shot dead in a Pittsburgh synagogue late last year or when nine Christians were killed at a church in Charleston. If we're honest, we'll know this has been coming. That was Walid Ali on the project on the night of the Christchurch massacre. Caro, last, uh, this week he has been on the project doing a terrific interview with Jacinda Ardern. He flew over to Christchurch to meet her. And uh, it was a terrific interview on the project. One comment about the project, way too many ads. It's just a nightmare of a program to watch. But it is. it, it was a really good interview and people can download it. What are your thoughts on Waleed Ali? He really is kind of leading the pack amongst the Australian media on this whole supremacist right-wing well, activity. Well, I think – and, and you know, and, and he's been writing – fascinating columns and I don't always agree with everything he says in the age for years and obviously on the ABC and you know and he understands sport really well as well so he's obviously a he is a multi-layered media personality who's even you know has won a gold logie but what he's done in the last two weeks well his attack on 
Scott Morrison and comments allegedly made back in 2010 in that cabinet meeting about multiculturalism. And, you know, he, he also interviewed Scott Morrison last week and Scott Morrison denies that he was saying we need to do something about this. The view from insiders who leaked the conversation say, no, 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 no. Scott Morrison was one who said this is something we should be exploiting. Now, Waleed was savage, savage about that last week. And I think for young people, it I mean, this is going to sound so simplistic and shallow, but you've got, you know, a thinking man's Muslim who is cool and young and is so many other things. I think I think for young Australians, he, he is, you know, the new hero. Well, he's a great he's a great role model, and the interesting thing is that you forget actually about uh, well, I certainly have in the last couple of weeks about his Muslim background because he is articulate. He got the great interview. He got the great interview, and not only did he get the great interview, the Prime Minister of New Zealand said, "Can I give you a hug at the start of it to show solidarity?" And he's uh, he's 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 um, he's. He's cutting through the noise, isn't he? And as you say, the, I mean, our kids think he's terrific. And I think he's doing journalism in a whole new way. He's, he's brought a, a, just an interesting layer. It'll be interesting well, to he's see. Well, he's popularised it without being a populist. I mean, it's hard to know what happened in that cabinet meeting back in 2010. But it, it's interesting that those comments were leaked and that, well, Julie Bishop allegedly shut it down. I mean, who knows exactly what was said? We've talked about this before. But... He if you recall, certainly, if you certainly recall, believes that Morrison made the comments. Well, if you recall, Caro, a, 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 around the time of uh, Tony Abbott's, um, a, around that time of Tony Abbott's cabinet, there was a lot of leaking going on, a lot of leaking going on, and it was usually seen as reliable leaking. But it's just interesting that this has come about out who's so been many... doing the leaking. Yeah, well. So I tend to believe actually that probably Scott Morrison did take a stand, and kind of own up, say, look, I, my my. If if it did indeed happen, or there's a cast of doubt around it, say, look, I my views then are very different to now. People are kind of forgiving; they'll they'll go with that. I think if you tell the electorate, I've changed as a person, I've changed my thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, it it was all about now trying trying to eliminate the hate and eradicate the divisions and just be a bit nicer to each other. And I and I think. I sort of think that's what um, Waleed has led in a way, and, and as has Jacinta Ardern, who has just been the absolute hero out of all of this and, and led so brilliantly. But, um, yeah, look, it, it, it's it's quite interesting. You know, um, Basha Hawley, who is a practising Muslim and who flew with Sonny Bill Williams, the NRL star, over to New Zealand for the ceremony on the Friday, I think it was, after playing for Richmond on the Thursday night, you know, the way they, they did it at the footy with the one-minute silence, but it wasn't – they weren't lining up and there wasn't like Anzac Day or a national anthem, but the players just all stood and hugged each other in a circle. That was a profoundly moving moment. It's, it's the power I of thought. footy again, yeah. isn't it? Again, yeah. to cut through. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see whether Walid Ali he – is, he is the one who's tipped to take over John Fain's morning program on ABC Radio here in Melbourne – what do you do? You think if you if you were in a position where he is on television, he has time to write columns. He's here, there, everywhere, man. Would you do that? Would you continue with what you're doing, or would you take the John Fain role? I'd continue with what I was doing. Mm, it's interesting. I, yeah, isn't it? It, it's. It, it, I mean, I'm it's not a bigger audience. It would be fantastic if he was on radio every morning, Monday to Friday. But it's a grind mm. every day, and at the moment, he fills in occasionally for around for the ABC around the country. You know, he does so many different other shows. I don't think he can do much more than he's doing at the moment, and it's so much more diverse. Caro, on to footy. Uh, I was going to say on to happier things, but there were some sadnesses. You've mentioned Alec Rance, of course, and there were a couple of upsets as well. I think if you were an Essendon supporter, you would be quite bereft, uh, hoping that it was just an aberration, the weekend's performance. But uh, tell me your thoughts about uh, round one. Well, apart from the fact that I tipped six winners... <laughs> no. Oh. no, look, well, it was... we um, just excited about ourselves? There were funny signs being well held done. up. Well done. That was a really good get. There were funny signs. Well, you know, mum's tip 
Always go for the home teams. Oh. There were funny signs being held up. The rules were meant to increase scoring. Um, scoring It was a lower scoring round per club since the mid-60s. So that hasn't worked quite yet. Um, the footy looked great. It did look better without all the runners and the water carriers on the ground. No doubt about that. No distractions. The, the, I mean, the most exciting thing I would say is that there are lots of young players who are bursting onto the scene and they were the ones. It was the older teams who went in, and we talked about this on Footy Classified this week, Teams who went in with older, older, less conditioned players got shown up, and the younger stars were fantastic. But I think the most the story that resonated for me in the context of what we're talking about a bit today is Port Adelaide, who came out and completely shocked the Melbourne Footy Club on the MCG. That was one home team that didn't win the Demons. Um, they've made a pact about mobile phones. In the dressing rooms, you know, the mental health has become the first order priority for the AFL. The commissioner worried about it. They're putting millions of dollars of funding into it, out of the players' wages, into trying to find an answer to this. But whenever you say, why are so many more players taking time out now with depression and anxiety and other mental health problems? People talk about the media and I say, no, no, I don't think the media has changed that much. Yes, it's more concentrated and there's more media. It's social media. And if players can do something, it is trying to wean themselves off the addiction to their mobile phones and the horrible things people are saying about them. So the Jack Watson interview after the game where he opened up about this has been the worst time of my life. Uh, Again, when we talk about cut-through messaging, wow, that was really profound. It was, wasn't it? And it referred back to his first game for the Melbourne Footy Club on the Queen's birthday when he wasn't ready and Melbourne used him as a marketing tool. And he said he wished his first game could have been like the one that some of his young Port Adelaide teammates had had. He talked about not being able to get out of bed over the summer, that for years and years, he's, to quote him, copped shit about his footy. But this was so much worse. And that was because he'd always been known as a really good bloke and some of the stuff that had come out of him, out out of his personal life, and, you know, there was a a mocked-up photo of snorting something that looked like cocaine off a woman's body from Oktoberfest. That was bad enough, but there was some other stuff about his treatment of women and some of his lifestyle issues last year that revealed that maybe he wasn't such a good bloke all of the time. And that just absolutely, obviously cut him to the quick. But, you know, Port Adelaide didn't suspend him. They they used their own brand of tough love and he made it to round one and he played a great game. So, Caro, how do you report this? You know, you mentioned that people, you know, blame the media and you, you say, and I think you're absolutely right, that the media hasn't changed. It's actually, you know, there are so many more ways that, that the public can access players through yep. social media and so on. If you're calling out a player's bad form and a club contacts you and says, look, you need to know this chap's got some um, mental health issues. Does it, is it happening more frequently? happens so much more frequently. It and, happens, how, and how do you report it? Do you go soft or do you... Well, it depends. Do you on, sometimes it, wonder whether this is the legitimate every, reason? Every situation is different, but it can be incredibly frustrating, particularly when someone has done something wrong. I mean, Jesse Hogan is a classic... Uh, issue is, is a classic example of this. You know, he's gone out, he's he's taken God no taken or drunken God knows what. He's been on a rampage over summer and been out and about, he's been photographed, he's been videoed. And you hate the people who photograph him because that's just horrible to do that to someone in public. But you also know that he has been paid a lot of money and he's signed a contract and he's letting down his team and his teammates. And then you hear he, and then the club says he's got clinical anxiety, which turns out is not even a medical term. And they've been told to stop using that term. But they're criticizing the media for even analyzing Jesse Hogan's bad behavior, which is what we do. I mean, well, we you have, have to be able to do you that. You have to be able to tell the stakeholders who are the members and the supporters, this is what's happening here. Some, yeah. And sometimes. You're told if if you continue to write about this player, there could be dire circumstances. And the AFL Commission, you know, we we look at what happened with Magic Daw, the North Melbourne player, over the summer, um, where you know he he could have died, and obviously he was suffering from some form of depression. And it's just so fortunate that he's he didn't die, and that he seems to be getting better. But you know, when the commission sit around and say there is going to be a player who maybe takes his own life. And we need to do something about this. We all have to rethink the way we report things and the way we behave as a society. And when shows like Married at First Sight, I'm sorry, are still top rating and you have networks absolutely exploiting 
the horrible way people can treat each other, I don't think it helps. There you go. Now it's my little editorial. Yeah, for the no, day. I'm, I'm very happy with the editorial. I'm listening with uh, with keen interest here. But I'm keen to hear, Corey, your crush of the week. <coughs> now, um, this is sponsored crush of the week, as you know, by the interchange bench. So if you have someone you know who needs first class temporary or cont- contract talent, please make sure you contact the interchange bench. They can help you with any professional level role in any industry. Corey, who is your crush? My son-in-law, Charlie. <laughs> You're rolling your eyes. No, I'm not. Do you want to know why? I'm happy. I'm just don't ever criticise me for going for a footballer. Well, look, <laughs> well, I don't often go for family members. No, I you don't. I ever do. No, you don't. Um, it's le- oh, Charlie's a lovely boy. You've chosen Brendan before. I have. I'll tell you why, Caro. So on the weekend, family get together. It's my birthday. And look, maybe it says something about the mother-in-law situation. I don't know. But Charlie opted to stay in Ballarat with Harriet. So babysit Harriet. So Chica could come down and see some girlfriends on the Friday and spend time with me and all of that sort of stuff. The main purpose for Charlie staying at home was that he wanted to reconfigure a part of their garden and turn it into a veggie patch. Well, can I tell you, for two days, he and Harriet have worked and slogged. Um, Charlie has a building background. The company he works for, they build big sheds, industrial sheds, and also little sheds as well. Hello to everyone at Steel Chief. And so Charlie does know what he's doing, but off to Mitre 10 with hats. And uh, they came home and the two of them completely demolished the garden, this garden area. Sadly, they did take out their hills hoist, Caro, but I have said, could oh. I please have it for my beach house? Because that would be really nice to have a, have a washing line. I love a hills hoist. Uh, and I have had, hang, I've had, have actually hung Harriet from the hills hoist in Ballarat and shown her how to do it as we did as kids. <laughs> she cried, but look, that's okay. She survived. But any son-in-law who starts collecting ideas for his veggie patch months in advance, he joined Pinterest, Caro, so he could look up veggie patch pictures of what he wanted to create. He's had a temporary veggie patch, which according to Checker, he's been watering and looking after all summer, absolutely demented about whether it was dying. In fact, at one point he left the beach holiday to drive back to Ballarat to check that the veggies were okay. And it's not just a shout out and a hello and well done uh, to Charlie. It's all of those DIY people and yourself included who say, let's go vegetables in our garden. Even if you have a little balcony and you decide you just want to do a pot of herbs, to actually have the time and the will to go to Bunnings or Mitre 10 or wherever it is you go and get yourself organised. And if you don't know anything about vegetables, like Charlie has learned on the spot, he's I've, I'm, I'm ordering books in from the bookshop for him. He's gone onto Pinterest to look at the designs he wants to do. He's created three or four of these huge beds with a pathway in between, which he has layered with, I think Checker said, limestone pebbling. So easy access on all sides of the... Of the oh, we want photos, remote. please. We will, and Miss Jane will pop them up on various social media spots. But I just wanted to say, well done all the gardeners of uh, of Australia, but particularly those who are keen to do a veggie patch over autumn and winter. It, honestly, that is going to be my April challenge. I'm going to create my own veggie patch. I'm so inspired by Charlie. Well done, Charlie. A well-deserved crush of the week. And don't forget, see interchangebench.com.au. Now, Corrie, it's time for BSF. You have a book, Caro. Well, it's an oldie but a goodie. (laughs) (laughs) Would you ever read something that's in the 21st century, do you think? Oh, that's a bit rough. I've put you onto some very good new reads. Mary Stewart, Rosamund Pilcher. You still haven't read Boy Swallows Universe. No, I know. And it won the the Book of the Year Award. No, I know. Now, no, but I've I've gone back to one of my favourite and um, with thanks to my mother who – who's just been reminding me again how much she adores Inspector Wexford, um, who is a creation of Ruth Rendell. Ruth Rendell is just a wonderful British crime writer. She's written so many different books on different topics, and I I love her non-Wexford books, but according to Mum, she's not interested in Ruth Rendell if it's not a book about Inspector Wexford. So, has Inspector Wexford ever become a television star? Yeah, he did. He did. It's been on. The, it's been on the ABC briefly. It, it, not bad. Who played him? We don't know. I can't remember. I'll look it up. But this one, believe it or not, and Mum's got a, a three or four that she hasn't read, and she's trying to find. She's got the APB out. In fact, I'll have to talk to Anna from the op shop. But this is his first case. You, and could, you could always ask a good local bookseller to find it for you. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> well, this well, this is you're going to. I think you'll like this story. Who because, am I? You know, 
you know, Corrie, how um, it's like it doesn't matter as long as people are buying books, you don't care if occasionally they go somewhere else to get their books? I certainly do not. Now, I was wandering through the Paran Market the other day. I just happened to be down at the Paran Market and I was walking um, in that big forecourt there with that lovely big muscle van where you go and eat mussels. And anyway, next to that now, in one corner near the um, sort of gourmet, what's it called, that gourmet place where you buy all the... Essential ingredient or something, vital ingredient. There's a bookshelf, a book, there's a little free book library. You know how they're bobbing up everywhere? Yes, they're such a good idea. And what was sitting in there, but Inspector Wexford's first case from Dune with Death... Are you going to take this back to the library or did you drop something no, else No, I off? dropped something else off there the following week. Oh, good on a you. A book that I'd read that I didn't really need to keep. Good girl. Yeah, I did. And it happened to me with um, our friend Sal, the one who didn't get married at Burnham Beaches. <laughs> we were on a really long walk in Queenstown, New Zealand last year and she didn't have a book and she was going nuts. And it's very, there's no bookshops in Queenstown. Anyway, we're on this big, big, beautiful walk along the lake and there's this tiny little bookshelf in the middle of nowhere. In the called the Lily Portal, the something book exchange, and there were six books sitting in there, so she just took one. Mm, and then a very good idea. And a few days later, we were meant to go back went and, and took another few, <laughs> replace it. Anyway, from Dune with Death, it's Inspector Wexford's first case. He is a wonderful, wonderful character. His family, he's up in um, uh, the place, yes, anyway, it's in Sussex, and it is just. Where he lives is fascinating. There's a wonderful introduction by Ian Rankin. So explaining. there are a few Inspector Wexfords in oh, the series. Dozens. I just dozens. I just looked it up, Caro. George Baker, the actor, played uh, – it wasn't a very successful series, Inspector Wexford. No, it wasn't. In the Ruth Rendell Mysteries. But if everybody's wondering who the hell is George Baker, take yourself back to – remember I, Claudius – Yep, 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 yep. With Derek Jacobi. Who played, yeah. Well, George Baker played Tiberius. Oh. You know, with that curly black hair. He wasn't a particularly attractive, but then Wexford doesn't really sound attractive either, does he? I mean, Well, I don't know. I don't know him. Kings Markham is the town. It's, you know, it's another sort of, you know, midsummer, but it's not no midsummer. It's much more realistic. His family's fascinating. He has daughters. But this um, starts out with the trampled body of a very inconsequential young woman by the name of Margaret Parsons, whose husband reports his wife missing about 12 hours after um, she's disappeared. It is fascinating. From Dune (laughs) with Death, you will love Ruth Rendell, who also writes under the name Barbara Vine. Um, You're not going to give anything else away so Jan Bingley can have a crack at you, are you? (laughs) I've set up up the first chapter, Corrie. There you go, Jan. I I don't think Ms Bingley had an issue with me. I think it was with you. No, it was with me. Caro, on to screen and we're going to talk about Vera, which is on the ABC on Sunday nights. At 8.30. Current and series just finished, but there's another one coming. Yes. Well, look, I, well, I've, I, I missed a couple, so I'm going to catch them up on iView, which you can, of course. The trademarks are back, the shapeless hat, the flapping Macintosh, that little van, the four-wheel drive that she drives around. Um, look, where do I stand with Vera? I, I did get a bit frustrated, I have to say. Uh, the sidekick, Aidan and Kenny, they're still doing little more than making her cups of tea, bringing her hot chips in a bucket and <laughs> kind of setting it up so she can show how fantastic she is. And, you know, pet love, even to murderers. There were, the UK Telegraph in January did this really good review. It said... Um, the script plotted from one plot point to the next, like Vera herself through the handsome Northumbrian scenery. And six ad breaks came and went while my eyes grew heavy. This was death in paradise without the Caribbean sun or midsummer murders without the camp fun. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't Poor think, Vera. I didn't think the script in this series was necessarily as good. I agree. Not as, as sharp. Because you know how there was always a massive shift somewhere along sort of three quarters of the way through in the early series? It was always about her personal life. We would have a reveal, remember? We would have a reveal about her dad or we'd have a reveal that she was really hitting the bottle hard. And I love in a detective yes, but series sometimes even, seeing even her in, other side. Yeah, well, well, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. Did you watch the last one on Sunday night? Yes, I did. Yep. I mean, the, there was a comment about the hat, you know, late in yes, the show, which was... I want a bit more about Vera herself. 
No, I, I just thought the actual storylines themselves weren't quite as multi-layered as they have been in the past. But Brenda Bletham is wonderful. And I really like Kenny Doherty as her new sidekick. Well, he's been around for a few series now. Aiden. Um, um, Anna from the Op Shop's husband, Chris, refuses to watch it because he reckons there's too much Kenny bashing. You know, actually the yeah. character who's Kenny, called Kenny. Yeah. I reckon that's. I don't think there's too much Kenny bashing. Well, Ken, Kenny gets a bit of a. There was that. There was the story a couple of weeks ago. One of the first episodes, I think, where Kenny. It, it's a. It's a cold case review, and Kenny was the original copper when the murder was discovered twelve or fifteen years yep. ago or something. And mm. there was some sort of allegation that he had. Uh, not botched done, it. Yeah, botched yep. it. Any, anyway, I won't give anything away about what happens in the end, but I did feel a bit sorry for Kenny. He he was being pretty bashed that night. I thought the Vera's sin- disapproving eye. Well, he deserved it. But anyway, that well, we we know what happened, but some had some won't have watched it. But I think the cinematography is absolutely beautiful. Some of the shots of the bleak. English rural landscapes, and that that one set on that island off Northumberland, where the um, oh yes, the Penguin Watches. That was just fascinating. You do feel a bit cold though for the two hours that you're watching. Oh, it, don't I love you? it. I love hey, it. I just want to also say, um, <clears throat> if you didn't watch Four Corners this week, Caro, Under the Radar, which was a fantastic report by Sean Rubenstein Dunlop. It's a report on the Christchurch. Christchurch tragedy, and as Four Corners always does so well, Caro, bringing everything, you know, reconstructing events. It's just such a great piece of work. So congratulations, Four Corners, on that. Now, Corrie, I want to hear the sponge cake recipe. Okay. Courtesy of Josie Wildsmith, and uh, it's called March Challenge, Don't Shoot. Right. So I don't know whether that's a new title of the sponge recipe, but here we go. Ingredients. One cup of caster sugar, four eggs, one cup of plain flour, a scant half teaspoon of carb soda, one large teaspoon of cream of tartar, and one tablespoon of boiling water. The method, beat sugar and eggs together until they form a thick, creamy consistency. Sift the flour, carb soda, and cream of tartar together, and then gently fold that into the mixture. Lastly, fold in the tablespoon of boiling water. Bake in a sponge tin, and I uh, bought a new one, which is about 24 four centimetres, I think, and you cook it in, um, Josie says, a moderate oven for 30 minutes. I put it on 180. That might have been my problem, actually. Mandy has also included here hints. She says, Mum said that it's all in the folding, Corrie. It's the folding of the flowers, and if you stir it too hard, your sponge will be tough and not light. So gently does it with the flowers. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think that might have been my problem as well. I might have been a bit heavy-handed. And then she says... Sounds like there are a few problems here. You can whip some cream and put chopped up strawberries on top and split the middle and do the same. Mum never iced hers. And then Mandy says, oh, and there are absolutely no calories in this recipe at all, exclamation mark. So what I did was I cut... Uh, when the, when my sponge was cool, I cut it in half with a sharp, big bread knife. And then I made some passion fruit icing, which is just uh, icing sugar and passion fruit and a tiny little bit of water. And um, isn't it amazing how much icing sugar you have to go through to get it to be quite stiff? Yeah, because uh, you just always put in too much water or melted yeah, butter. Yeah, exactly yep. right. And then uh, away we went. So I've bought this in today. You and Miss Jane are going to have a piece. And uh, look, what can I say except I've cooked my first sponge. But it does seem like a really good recipe. Thanks, Josie. And just while we're on recipes, Caro, I've brought in another little uh, show and tell today. This one's actually for Miss Jane's Huey, who started school this year. This new book by, remember Flip Shelton? Yep, of course I do. Yeah, so Flip Shelton's a local foodie, but she used to be on the television. And she and Michael Cargreg, who is an eminent Australian child psychologist and teenage psychologist, they have put together this fabulous book called Smart Snacks, 100 plus quick and nutritious recipes for surviving the school years. And it's got all of these wonderful snacks that are tasty and healthy for kids. And you know, for the first couple of years when your kids start school, you're making almost chocolate eclairs. You get so excited about the school lunch. Ten years down the track, Caro, oh, you know, where's the cheese stick? Yeah, uh, yeah well, that, that's true. Where's the, where's the packet well, the of start, chips? Or... The start of term one's always a, a yes, good excuse. True, true. But you get to kind chicken of balls you get and... to August and you're losing. So what Flip did the other day was she dropped into me this little Tupperware pack, which I've kept in the fridge, Jane. You might want to taste it first, though, just to make sure nothing's gone off. We don't want to send Huey into some sort of, um, uh, you know, unconscious state. But there are three varieties of chia ball, chocolate ball, uh, different ones here that he can have in his lunch. That's my gift to you, Jane. And my other gift to you is this, the copy of the book. 
from my bookshop in Hawksburn. So there you go. Thanks, Corrie. <laughs> she makes a fabulous uh, muesli. Little food children. trips. Now, um, so that's a really good book. Uh, and it is, a, it's actually, Cara, a great price, twenty four ninety nine. Now, you are grumpy about something. For the third time this week, I walked into a shop on Saturday to buy, to replace my um, tinted moisturiser and they wanted my email address. Why do you have to give your email address when you're buying tinted moisturiser? Why, when you walk in to get your toes painted, do they need your email address? No, I'm banning any more. And then one place I went into for a leg wax where I don't normally go. Oh, God, it's a big week on the beautification. No, this was last year. They said... um, um, we need your mobile phone number, and I said, "Why? Oh, we need to. We need you for our data. No, you don't need me for your database. I'm coming in. I'm a random stranger. Perform the service and let me go. I am sick of people wanting my email address, and I'm now refusing. That's what makes me grumpy. Okay, good. Now it's time for six quick questions, and I'll kick it off. Corey, what's the etiquette for responding to a birthday text? Well, you respond, and you respond as quickly as you can, as you should, with all text messages. But I do know some people who just say, oh, I got so many messages, I just couldn't get to them all. Oh, bad form, people. Oh, it's difficult, though, isn't no. it? No. The etiquette of text messaging, I mean, I know I used to offend people by not responding. Now I do. but You have to do it super quick, even if it's just a kiss, kiss, kiss or something. I think that texting has now become a really legitimate form of communication. It's no longer just like, you know, sending – I mean, don't send emo- emotions or emojis or whatever they're called. That drives me bonkers. I've just discovered the thumbs up. <laughs> or the fingers, oh, only five years down Or the, the fingers crossed when I'm at the football. <laughs> no, but I just it, – it's taking out a whole branch of conversation. I think there's going to be big social ramifications with text messages. Well, it is always nice when somebody does actually call you for your birthday. But look – the next best thing is to be remembered and have a little text message appear on your screen. And so I tried to, sorry if there's somebody out there I didn't respond to, that wasn't purposefully done. It was just overlooked maybe. But anyway, no, you've got to respond. Caro, I'm interested why you want me to ask you this question. Why is cheating at golf one of society's worst misdemeanors? You well, don't play golf. I'm not a golfer. I was actually thinking I should be asking you this question. But, you know, Jason Ackermanis has been banned from a golf course up north because of an alleged incident where he says he deliberately took six shots to um, set up the bloke who he knew was spying on him because he'd spied on him and reported him in the past. Sounds a bit of a flimsy excuse to me. But Jason Ackermanis has done some Ordinary things in terms of revealing the best and fairest winner at his old footy club, falling out with his teammates, selfish behaviour on and off the field at two different footy clubs, despite being a great champion. But I reckon when there's a cheating at golf allegation, and it is just an allegation, although this golf club has now suspended and now banned him, you just, there's a stigma about it. There's I mean, nothing worse. I knew a bloke years ago who was well known for being for cheating on his partner. But when he cheated at golf, that was a whole new ball game. <laughs> it was I so you much mean his worse. his golf partner. You mean his life partner. Yes. But it, but, oh, what but, would be worse, cheating oh, on your wife or well, cheating on your golf? Well, I know the way certain um, members of the boys' club felt about it. The golf was much worse anyway. Oh, you have to tell me more who that might be. Do I know that person? Of course not. Um, and, and we would never, ever mention it. So um, the Mueller report. Muller. The Mueller report found that there was no collusion. And no criminal obstruction. For Donald Trump. But surely this isn't the end of his woes. This isn't the end of his woes, Caro, because uh, there are uh, quite a few of his buddies have been sent to prison. Paul Manafort, uh, Michael Cohen, it goes on and on. And they have the dirt. Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, and they have the dirt on the president. Um, but We're just that, waiting on the full report to come out, though. The full, the full report's got to come out. William Barr, the new Attorney General, has must allow this to happen. I think because the Democrats have the House and Nancy Pelosi's in charge, and she is just like a pit bull when she has a cause. I think uh, we will. The public will have access to this at some point, and I don't think we've seen the last of it. No, I certainly hope not. Now, Caro, Chris Hemsworth or Matt Damon? Easy. Chris Hemsworth, even though Matt Damon seems like a great bloke. Would you like to fill people in who have no idea why we've drawn this Chris Hemsworth and Matt, well, everyone knows they're two very well-known actors. Everyone knows. Oh, no, we know that part. We don't know they're good buddies. There's a real, a lot of man love going on between 
Chris Hemsworth and Matt Damon. Chris Hemsworth came to watch the Bulldogs play in that dreadful Thor jumper in Melbourne on Saturday night. He brought his mate Matt Damon with him. There was a lot of cheering and high-fiving. Gillan McLaughlin even got in on the act on one point. Um, but I think Matt Damon virtually lives in Australia now. He's, a, he's got a place at Byron Bay or he's often at Byron Bay and that's where... I haven't seen him at the pub, but I'll look but, out now. No, well, yeah, we'll, we'll do. Chris Hemsworth is obviously there as well and... If I, I think Matt Damon's a really good actor, and I really enjoy his work, but I just think Chris Hemsworth We is, know you've got the hots for him. He is a dreamboat. Wasn't he one of your crushes last year? He was. Mm. He was. I like both Hemsworths, actually. Has there been a worse performance on Q&A than Tina McQueen's in, on Monday night? Nah. This the is, Liberal Party Federal Deputy President probably lost the election for Scott Morrison. Could it damage? Uh, could it damage electoral prospects? Well, when you, you've got to look at who's in charge of the party, who's running the party, what does the party represent? What are their core ethics and values? Who are the people at the top? Not just prime ministers, but also uh, those non-paying roles of presidents and vice presidents of parties. Are you serious? I agree with Neil McMahon at the at the Age, who wrote this week. Worst performance ever seen in the 11 years of Q&A. I have never seen anything like it. To say that she's worked on a beauty pageant with Donald Trump and he seems like a good guy to me. Uh, oh, my goodness. Only and, to and be well, shouted she, she down said he was exonerated by, by the Mueller report. She showed a complete lack of understanding. She showed it. What about when – what did she say about Richard Di Natale, that he'd, he'd sort of um, promoted – um, vicious hate against um, Andrew Bolt just because she'd read an Andrew Bolt column. She exactly right. And in, and then, in fact, uh, the... The Labor um, guy yeah, had to... Yeah, Tony, Tony Burke had to come in and say, I don't often do this, but I'm going to defend Richard Di Natale and just went for her. I think one of the, 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 the worst instances... I mean, there was a lot of gasping from the audience and Tony Jones was just looking completely confused at different points where to take this. But she had, she had a sort of a crack at Jacinda Ardern's leadership credentials and, you know, sort of suggesting that she was the toast of the world, but really she was just uh, hanging around on John Howard's coattails of years ago because he wanted to introduce gun reform. The parallels, the, the, the mounting of the argument was pathetic. There was no argument. And she just made an absolute idiot of herself. I just, I, I was incredulous as I was watching it. crack a cock joke off yeah, air off, and off then air. refer to it on air. Off air. So she said about, so Roxanne Gay, who's the, you know, terrific American panellist and she was on the panel and she's an author and a spokesperson and everything. Um, when um, when uh, Tina made this comment about, you know, she knew Donald Trump and she could vouch for his character, Roxanne Gay said, just be, and, and she said, I didn't have an experience like that with him at all. And Roxanne Gay says, just because you didn't have an experience with him doesn't mean he hasn't done these terrible things. I mean, there's audio of him talking about grabbing a woman by the pussy. And McQueen then said, I just made a joke about a cock earlier on. I don't think there's much difference there. And the audience all looks a bit weird and says, she actually made the joke about the cock off air, which Tony Jones had to remind her. And Gay, of course, said a joke about a cock versus grabbing a woman you know, talking about sexual assault are two very different things. It was insane. It was just, it was bizarre. So I just, you know, I can't, anyway, she's the worst performance I've ever seen. Caro, last question to you. What's your GLT? Well, it's embarrassing, Corrie, because this is something, another technological obstruction for me that I had no idea existed. Did you know that you can actually block callers on your mobile phone? Yes, you can, yeah. And you can do it accidentally, Oh, I didn't know that. So I had an issue with um, someone from the AFL industry last week where I thought, gee, you know, I know I was a little bit critical of the AFL in this column, but there's no need to ignore two text messages and not call me back when I've left you two more messages over entire week. I mentioned it to a colleague. I, in fact, mentioned it to our friend Jake Nile. I said, have you been talking to such and such? I just can't believe he's been so um, oversensitive about this. He rang me back. He said... He's tried to text you. He's called you. He sent you. Are you sure you haven't blocked him? I said, what are you talking about? Well, guess what? I blocked him. How did you do it? Well, I don't know. But when well, if you're going to give us a good local tip, you better tell us how not to do it. Well, you go to your list of contacts, right? Shane, and, and Shane I, is killing herself and here I, as your I, inadequacy with your techno. And I look up Corrie Perkin, okay? And at the very bottom... Under send message, share contact, add to favourites, share my location. There's block this caller. Well, if you press that, 
Well, Kara, why would you do that? I, I don't know. I didn't mean to do it. But if it says unblock this caller, that tells you that you've blocked him. And that's what I did to this person who, in fact, wasn't ignoring me and then thought I was ignoring him. This could break up relationships. That's the problem with mobile phones and technology. Okay, so the good local tip would be... Don't block callers. And if you're worried someone hasn't called you back, go to their contacts and just make sure you haven't blocked them. Well, I don't think people are that dumb, but yeah, okay. Well, oh, Jane, I'm, what are we going to do with it? I'm her? not completely stupid, Corrie, so I, there must be other people who've done it. And in fact, I've talked about this. Jane says she's done it, have you? Yes. Oh. And it's really bad for business. <laughs> Won't ask what business it, it was, Jane. You accidentally but, um, touch it and you've got these smartphones. It's not a real button. It's just if you oh, accidentally Jane, touch Jane, it with your ear. This from the woman who shut down our entire Instagram account because she forgot the password. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, anyway, okay. oh, if there God, is a second win. good local tip, two words, baby leaks. They're everywhere and they're fabulous. But it's time to I go. you were referring to Willow and her nappy. Uh, it is go. time to go, Cara. It's been lovely today and I hope you can have some sponge before you go home and you too, Miss Jane. Please, everyone who's listening to us, tell your friends and family to subscribe to our podcast and also our sister podcast, The Book Pod, which is the little fortnightly book review and author interview program I do on my own, Caro was going to be an occasional visitor. We haven't seen you yet, but hoping you'll front up off the interchange I've bench. Been, I've been an occasional visitor. Have you? I've done two episodes. Yep, have you? I, have. I don't remember that. Please send any feedback, everyone, or comments or tips or suggestions to Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. And you can also leave a message and follow us indeed on our Instagram and Twitter using the handle at Don't Shoot Pod, all one word. Uh, and you can email us on feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. We really do love hearing your comments. We're thrilled to announce that our next live podcast event is for breakfast. Up early, Caro, that morning on the morning of Tuesday, April 30th at the Melbourne Town Hall. We've got a very big venue there, Caro. That's very exciting. It's a bit daunting. We've been invited by the Royal Women's Hospital to help launch their Miracle Mums campaign and Mayor Sally Cap. Uh, or sorry, Lord Mayor Sally Cap will be just one of our guests and very shortly we'll be posting a link on social media channels so you can buy tickets. We'd love you to be a part of it. Those potties who came along to our Don't Shoot the Messenger uh, event last year at the Flying Duck will verify, I hope, that we all had a very great, a very good time together. Thanks again to our show sponsor, The Interchange Bench. They can assist with any professional level role in any industry or sector. Just go to them at interchangebench.com.au. Don't forget to listen to our weekly bonus footy tipping episode on Thursday and join us in our footy tipping competition, www.tipping.aflnation.com.au. You just joined Search for Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast comp and already, Carol, we have 140 people who have signed up in just one week. Fascinating, I know, I can see that you're yawning there. Anyway, Potties, thanks so much for joining us. And, Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is made possible by the Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench provides first-class temporary and contract talent. So when you need to get your team back in the game, call on the Interchange Bench. They provide temporary staffing, executive contracting, casual workforce management and volume recruitment from finance, events, communications, digital to office support at all levels. Someone sick or resigned? Expanding the company. Interchangebench.com.au For talent so good, you'd wish you can keep them. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm Jen Harper. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Maher. Join me on The Book Pod. I hope you can join Corey Perkin and I on The Book Pod. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill. Always, no matter how abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build the story. You know, some authors take a decade to write a book I would miss the meeting the readers. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.